Now, a Christian author, and quite an old Christian author, I mean he was, I don't mean he was a long time ago, I mean he'd got on in years, said this, In all my life so far, I have never heard a single reference from pulpit or songwriter or study leader or in fact anybody else at all to, that related to the Micah of the book of Judges. Never heard anyone mention anything about these chapters. Have you? Some are nodding their heads, but probably most haven't. I don't remember myself ever hearing anyone teach anything on these chapters. It's not surprising, it's an odd story, but it is a pity because there's so much to learn from it. By the way, if some people are thinking, yes, I've heard about Micah before, do remember there's a better known Micah towards the end of the Old Testament. Don't get them in a muddle. Now, chapters 17 to 21 are the conclusion of Judges. For those who don't know, we've been in a series going through Judges for quite a few weeks. We're getting towards the end of it. 17 to 21 are the conclusion of Judges. And they are holding up a mirror to God's Old Testament people, the Israelites, and saying, look what you're like. And we must make sure tonight that we are not in the mirror. Now, we're going to take not the whole of the conclusion this time, but just chapter 17 and 18, and then, God willing, the rest of the conclusion next time. So, chapter 17 and 18, and what we're going to do is, first of all, a bit of Bible study on these chapters, seeing what's happening in these chapters, and then, secondly, I'm going to preach some application of these chapters, how could we be like them? So, first of all, what's happening in chapters 17 to 18? Now, if someone blindfolded you and set you off walking, and to start with you were walking on grass, but then you ended up walking on gravel, you'd feel the difference even though you couldn't see it because you were blindfolded, wouldn't you? You'd know it would happen. You could feel the difference. And as we go from all the chapters leading up to chapter 16 into chapter 17 to 21, we can feel the difference. There's been a very definite pattern up till now. It's all been about judges, but there's no more judges, chapter 17 onwards, at least none mentioned. It's up till now, everything has had this cycle. They sin, they're judged, they cry for help, they're rescued. And a very definite cycle, and there's nothing of that now. The whole way of writing feels very different. And yet it's very closely linked. And that's what we should expect because chapter 17 to 21 are the conclusion. So they feel different, but they do conclude what went before. They are linked. And I want us to see the link now. And a helpful way would be to consider the motto of Judges. There is this recurring phrase throughout Judges. Well, actually, there are two phrases, but they're basically the same thing said different ways. The first phrase is throughout the first 16 chapters... It comes up first in chapter 2, verse 11. Would you turn, please, to chapter 2, verse 11? And we'll see this phrase we could call the motto of Judges. Chapter 2, verse 11. Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the Baals, these idols, the Baals. Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the Baals. That's the recurring motto. Now, What is going on in Judges, according to this verse, if you had to answer in one word? One word from this verse to say what's going on. True, 
What's the one word from this verse? Evil, yes. The one word from this verse to summarise what's going on is evil. It is idolatry, but there's a reason I'm building it up this way. Okay, who's doing the evil? The Israelites. I know that was a childishly simple question, but there's a reason for this because we've got to see the link later. It's evil. The Israelites are doing it. Who says it's evil? The Lord is in the eyes of the Lord. Now, remember that phrase. It's very significant. It's evil in the eyes of the Lord. And then we get, what is the evil? Barclay's told us it's idolatry, isn't it? That's what the evil is. Uh, Compare that with chapter 3, verse 7. The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. They forgot the Lord their God and served the Baals and the Ashtoreths. It's idolatry. The phrase comes up again in shortened form in chapter 3, verse 12, and in chapter 4, verse 1. In fact, just loads of times from now on, it comes up again in shortened form. Uh, 3, verse 12, once again the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. What's been left out? What's it left off this time? that it was about idolatry has been left off, hasn't it? Now, I'm just pointing this out because this is a pattern in Judges. It states it in full, then it gives it in shortened form and expects you to remember the evil was idolatry. And the conclusion will do the same thing, state it in full, then give it in shortened form and expect you to remember the full thing. It's not bothering to say the second time. What has it added on this time? Chapter 3, verse 12, and chapter 4, verse 1, there is a phrase added on, and it gets added on every time after this. Once again, once again, once again, comes up throughout Judges. That's adding on another dimension. The message of Judges is the Israelites keep on in their idolatry. They are persistent idolaters. And God raises up Judges, and they, they give up their idols for a while, and then once again, They are repeat offenders, persistent idolaters. Now, that phrase is across the whole of the first 16 chapters. It gives us the theme. Then you get to chapter 17 to 21 and you get a new motto. Let's look at it. A new motto in chapter 17 to 21. I would like someone who has the ESV, the English Standard Version, to read us chapter 17, verse 6, because it's translated more literally. Thank you. In those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And by the way, that then comes up in shortened form until you get to the very last verse and then it's put in full again. You see the pattern like in the rest of the book. Long form, shortened form, but you have to remember what it's all about. Now, what is the similarity with the first motto? It is still evil in God's sight, that's right. It's still about idolatry. It's Israel doing it, that's why I asked earlier who was doing it. And you have this issue of eyes, don't you? The first one says they did evil in the Lord's eyes. The second one says they did what was right in their own eyes. The issue of whose eyes is it in? Now, there's the first clue how the Israelites were so foolishly sinful. They're seeing things very differently from God. 
The same thing is happening. Israel is doing the same thing. But the first motto is telling us the Lord looked and it's evil in his eyes. The second motto is telling us the Israelites looked and they thought it's pretty good really. It's right in their eyes. What allowed them to get it so wrong? Chapter 17, verse 6. What allowed them to get it so wrong? They've got no king, have they? They've got no king. Leadership, lack of leadership is a big theme in Judges. The first phrase is about idolatry. Is the second phrase about idolatry? Well, yes, it is. Because it's taken from Deuteronomy 12, verse 8, which we won't bother turning to now. But Deuteronomy 12, verse 8 was warning the Israelites to worship God how he says, not however they feel like. And in particular, you don't worship him through idols. So the theme is still idolatry. Now let's think about that idolatry theme in Judges. We've been going through Judges for weeks and because we tend to like the personal stories of Judges and they're pretty obvious, aren't they? We could, by focusing on the Judges themselves, miss the big idolatry theme. So let's take Gideon as an example to see the idolatry theme is always there. Would you turn back to chapter 6? Gideon is a good example of the judge's relationship to idolatry. Judges chapter 6. Have a look at verse 25. What is the first good thing that Gideon did? Just give people time to read verse 25. And have a look and see. What is the first good thing that Gideon did? That's right, he tore down an idolatrous altar. He attacks idolatry. Okay, now, the next question will rely on a bit of knowledge of Gideon. What's the most famous thing that Gideon did? What's the biggest thing that he did? Ah, in amongst all the murmuring, I can't hear that. He... He defeated the Midianites. You remember the sword of the Lord and Gideon? Some of you might remember hearing it while we were having communion in here while Richard Davis got the children to march around the garden and shout it. The sword of the Lord and of Gideon and defeated the Midianites. Yes, he defeated enemies. What is the last thing that Gideon did? Chapter 8, verse 27. Chapter 8, verse 27. Yeah, let's give people a bit of time to read it. Chapter 8, verse 27, Gideon made the gold into an ephod, which he placed in Ophrah, his town. All Israel prostituted themselves by worshipping it there, and it became a snare to Gideon and his family. So Francis has told us he made an ephod. What else could we say is going on? Idolatry. Now, Gideon is the most obvious example, but this is a pattern with the judges, and the pattern goes like this. God is using them in a battle against idols. It's not just about relieving the Israelites from their enemies. It's a battle between the Lord and idols, and he uses judges in that battle. The judges are successful at delivering from enemies, and they are failures at delivering from idolatry. That's why after every judge you get once again that phrase and they go off into idolatry. You see, they deliver from the enemies but they're failures at delivering 
from idolatry. This idolatry theme is there across Judges. And obviously the theme continues in our chapters, chapters 17 and 18, because they're all about a man called Micah with his idols. And if you've got an NIV with a heading, it tells you that's what it's all about. And it's holding up, this is a conclusion, holding up a mirror to Israel and saying, look at yourselves. I've sent you all these judges, but look what you're still like. Look at you idolaters. Well, let's see, what is chapter 17 and 18 teaching the Israelites about their idolatry? What is it showing up about idolatry? It's showing three S's. And the three S's are syncretism, seems okay, and stupidity. There's three S's. Syncretism, seems okay, and stupidity. Now, what's this long word syncretism? It's very simple. It's mixing religions. Happened down throughout history, still happening today. Mixing religions. Let's see it. Chapter 17 starts with a family who acknowledged the Lord. There's a woman who calls her son Micah, which in its full form, which is used in most of the chapter, means who is like the Lord. What a great name. There's no one like the Lord. Who's like him? She blesses her son in the name of the Lord. Their people are very quick to take the Lord's name on their lips. She consecrates her silver to the Lord in verse 3. She wants her silver to be used for the Lord's glory. She's a worshipper of the Lord, it seems. And how does she consecrate her silver to the Lord? By getting her son to make an idol. (laughs) What craziness is this? She's a worshipper of the Lord by making idols. And then her son, he gets himself a Levite, doesn't he? In other words, the priestly tribe, whose very existence was for the worship of the Lord. And he gets him to run his idolatry for him. And once he's done that, he thinks, that's great. Verse 13, now I know that the Lord will be good to me. What a phrase. Now I know the Lord will be good to me since this Levite has become my priest, my priest of my idol worship. Do you see the complete mix-up here? It's all done in the name of the Lord. They think they're worshipping the Lord, but it's all through idolatry. And on it goes in a similar way way in chapter 18 with the Danites and Micah and the Levite all mixed up in, we're doing this for the Lord, but it's through idols. This is people thinking they can worship the Lord how they like. This is this sort of attitude. What's the harm in mixing in some interesting ideas from other people? Who are we to think we've got a monopoly on the truth? See the attitude? Syncretism. Here's the next S, seems okay. If you said, Mr. Micah, you're not supposed to do this, he would say to you, you fussy legalist, you picky legalist, I must be okay, I've got God's blessing. Look, I've got God's blessing, you can trace it through the chapter. When I admitted I'd stolen, I received a blessing in the name of the Lord, and the blessings come true. Because look, I've I've managed to open a new place of worship. Can't argue with that, can you? I've opened a new place of worship. It's all going well. And God brought a Levite across my path. And he was like a son to me. And now he's like a father to me. We're getting on so well. Such a good relationship. How can you be picky about that? And we've even brought blessing to others. Chapter 18, verse 5 and 6. We've been able to give guidance to others. Guidance, they have the Lord's approval. 
won't mention it's the Lord's approval to uh, slaughter innocent people, i.e. the Levite just made it up. This providence shows, says Mr. Micah, I must be doing the right thing. Do you see? Now, a very similar argument was used by another man who said, providence shows I must be doing the right thing. This man very narrowly missed being killed in World War I. He just left his, tr- left his troop of people when a shell la- his so- a troop of soldiers when a shell landed on them and killed them all. After the war, he was involved in civil disobedience and the police shot at his group of men. The man to the side of him got shot and fell across our man, taking the bullet that was just heading straight to him. What a providence! Through a remarkable set of providences, extraordinary combination of circumstances, he rose to immense power. Once he got power, he was making a speech and left his speech early. And just after he'd left early, the podium he was on and the whole building were blown up by the time bomb left by an assassin. And he just left early and just missed it. A man who, and he said this, Repeated providence has shown what I must be doing must be what I'm doing must be God's will. Do you know his name? Adolf Hitler. Adolf Hitler. Something seeming to work out. The phrase "Look, God's blessed my ministry" doesn't tell you you are right. Syncretism seems okay, but stupidity. This chapter, chapter 17 and 18, we can't go into all the ways, but it's actually a very humorous chapter. It's got laced through it all sorts of ways. It's showing stupidity of the people here. What is the first piece of information in chapter 17? The very first thing we're told. A man named Micah. That is very significant. It's put first. The first thing is there is a man whose name is... Who is like Yahweh? Who is like the Lord? His name is saying there is, there is no one and nothing to be compared to the Lord. And what's the thing he does? What's his answer to who is like the Lord? His answer is a piece of silver. A piece of silver is like the Lord. Stupidity. And you read on and Micah is portrayed as a rather pathetic man. In fact, when I first read verses 1 and 2, I thought he was a child. I didn't realise he was a man at first. He comes across like a child, doesn't he? There he is at home and he's admitting, Mummy, I stole your silver. She says, oh, well, never mind, son. I'll give you a blessing. It's like a child at home. And that's intentional because it's showing us the childish, the folly of idolatry. He's a pathetic creature. He thinks it's wonderful he's got a Levite. By the way, the Levite is, is portrayed as pathetic. He's called, it, it, there's this word about him being a youth. He's, he's, he's not grown up yet. But he becomes a father to Micah, even though he's a youth, because Micah's a pathetic man. He gets this Levite to, hire, uh, to work for him, and he thinks this is wonderful. But chapter 18, the Levite walks out as soon as he's got a better offer from some other people. And then you get this episode in chapter 18 that's like a Wild West scene. There's Micah on his own with his group of houses around him and his neighbours and 600 men at the gate, all armed, ready for war. They, off they go with his things. And I imagine them on their horses like uh, John Wayne or someone in a Wild West scene. And Micah goes after them and they turn around and say, what do you want? And he says, how can you say, what do I want? Look, 
That's my God there under your arm. And that's my priest you've got on the back of your horse. How can you say, what do you want? That's my God there under your arm. That's my priest who's gone off for a pay rise. It's showing the stupidity of idolatry. And they say, clear off or you'll get killed. And he goes home like a dog with his tail between his legs. All rather pathetic. Now remember these verses. These chapters are a mirror to Israel. They're saying this is what you've become like in your idolatry, in your persistence. How could they be so foolishly sinful? How could they be like this? Well, chapters 17 and 18 are telling us how they could be like this. Uh, Let's put the first part of it this way. How do you know Micah was wrong? How did you know even before you get through chapter 17 and 18 and see he's silly? Uh, How do you know that's wrong, Mike? Idolatry is wrong, we all know. How do we know it's wrong? Because it says in the Bible, there's the simple answer to the Ten Commandments. The Second Commandment says, doesn't it? In other words, our guide to right and wrong is not providence, it's scripture. Now, you probably didn't come out with that straight away because it's so obvious, isn't it? It's so obvious, but it obviously needs to be said because it's where they were failing. And it's therefore where we are likely to fail. So what's right in their eyes is evil in the Lord's eyes because their eyes are not guided by Scripture. They go with what's just normal about them. They go with, it's all working out okay, it must be all right. You see, the the answer is obvious. We know it's wrong because it says so in the Ten Commandments, it says so in the Bible, but it's an obvious lesson that's obviously needed. What is evil in the Lord's eyes will become what's right in our eyes if our eyes are not being guided by God's word alone. That's how they could be so foolishly sinful. But there is more to it than that. Back to chapter 17, verse 6 and that key phrase. What should have been making them take notice of Scripture? A king. A king should have been making them take notice of Scripture. They needed a king to lead them, to make sure people who didn't follow God's law were put out of the community. That's the implication. There shouldn't be people in the community who don't follow God's law. They should be put out. And the king should lead them God's way. But there's something else going wrong too. The conclusion of Judges is two stories. One is chapter 17 and 18, And the other is chapter 19 onwards. What type of person is at the centre of both stories? Chapter 17 and 18 has at the centre a certain type of person who is also at the centre of chapter 19 onwards. A Levite. Now, that must be really significant. If the conclusion is two stories that both have at the centre, a Levite, it must be saying to the Israelites there's a problem in the religious leadership. Again, it's a leadership problem. They haven't got a king, but they also have got, they have got religious leaders, but they're not doing their job. They've gone wrong. The Levite, as I've said, is, is portrayed in very bad terms here in this chapter. And, well, I wonder how quite will cope with chapter 19. He's portrayed in such bad terms there. Again, there's a leadership problem. 
Now, there are people taking the lead. Who's taking the lead in chapter 18? The Danites are taking the lead. And that's a very significant lesson. They're taking the lead by brute force. And the very significant lesson there is, when leaders don't lead, whether in family, husbands take note, or in the church, or in the state, what you get is not no leaders. You'll always get some leaders, but it'll be someone else taking the lead. And it's usually just the strongest or the biggest personalities. No, the, the right people failing to take the lead doesn't mean no leadership. No, it means others taking unconstrained leadership and just like in chapter 18, others suffer. Okay, there I hope we've seen what's going on in chapter 17 and 18, a bit of a Bible study of 17 and 18. Now I want to ask, how could it be happening in us? Now we need to apply it to ourselves. How could it be happening in us? The key issue here was doing what was right in their own eyes. Now, we live in a society, don't we, that says, do what's right for you. Be true to yourself is the most important thing, isn't it? Whatever you do, you must be true to yourself. And it is bound to have got into us. It is the doing what's right in your own eyes attitude. It must have got into us because we're just saturated in it in our society. I'll give you just two examples. I think of a person leaving a church for a totally trivial reason. And me speaking to her and trying to speak about how the Bible says about striving to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace and getting the answer back, the Lord is leading me to do this. It's right according to my conscience. In other words, using God's name to go against doing what God says in his word. What's right in our own eyes. Or I think of a Christian insisting on marrying an unbeliever. And I showed from the Bible, this is wrong. You should not be doing this. You will cause yourself harm. And the answer I got back was, you have the Bible, I have the spirit and love. It is a solemn thing when we use Christian language to excuse what is just doing what is right in our own eyes. How could Judges 17 be happening to us? Well, it can be doing what's right in our own eyes, but it can also be idolatry, can't it? The theme is idolatry. Now, there are so many ways we can have idols, but I just want to give you two examples of ways that can be particularly like Micah's, because there are particular features of Micah's idolatry. How can we have idols that are like Micah's? Here's one example. I'll, I'll make up a person. Nicole's idol is esteem. Her idol is what do other people think of her? Being thought well of. And she discovers that serving at church is a way to be thought well of by the people that matter to her. She finds being there at every meeting and working hard and being committed means people are impressed. Now she looks so good. She looks very different from the old Nicole. But the motivation of her heart is unchanged. It's just like the old her. She's being like Micah. She's thinking she's worshipping God. But really she's serving her idol of other people's esteem. And like Micah, if her reputation goes, she'll say chapter 18 verse 24. 18 verse 24, what else do I have? Isn't that true for someone who worships 
What do other people think of me? If that gets undermined, what else do I have? Just one example of how we can have idols like Micah. Here's another example. Ed idolises comfort. Now, Ed enjoys coming to church, but he wouldn't if it's raining because he's got to walk quite a long way, and he idolises comfort. He sings at church, take my life and let it be, take my silver and my gold, not a mite would I withhold, but it's just a song to him because there's a certain lifestyle he wants and he's not going to let it get taken away from him. He likes a lazy Saturday, so on Sunday he's still having to do that essay that was... uh, due in, that's going to be due in the next day. And if you say to him, fourth commandment, he'll say to you, you legalist, I'm doing, I'm writing my essay for God's glory. Like Micah, he's got some acknowledgement of God, but it's on his terms, not on God's terms. Now you could give many more examples, but I hope you can see, there are two examples where it's idolatry that has particular features of Micah's. It can look really good. It can be in the name of the Lord. It can say it's for God's glory, but it won't accept exactly what he says. I'll set the terms for how I glorify him. We have to watch out. We're not people who do what is right in our own eyes. Here's another, another application. In judges, a lack of leadership was the issue. There was a lack of leadership to bring them into line with God's word. Does God's church today need leadership to bring it into line with God's word? Don't answer out in case you get the answer wrong, because that would be quite embarrassing for me in particular. But the answer is yes. I'll give you just one example. Yes, Hebrews 13, verse 17 Obey your leaders and submit to their authority. They keep watch over you as men who must give an account. Obey them so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no advantage to you. If we are going to avoid doing what's right in our own eyes, we need leaders who will get our eyes in line with God's words. In other words, who will teach us the Bible. If we're going to avoid becoming like Israel in Judges, a mixture polluted by idolatry, we need leaders who will do 2 Timothy 3.16. Do you know 2 Timothy 3.16? All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness. Many Christians know that verse, but you know it's written to the man of God, which in the context is the leader of the church, to say, use the Bible to teach, correct, rebuke and train in righteousness. We need such leaders. Just as they needed leaders back in the days of Judges to put out of the community those who persisted in idolatry, still we need today leaders who will put out of the church those who persist in doing what is right in their own eyes. Now, I know that leaders can go wrong too. In fact, it's totally obvious, isn't it? Because in Judges, the problem isn't just lack of leadership, it's leaders going wrong. Put it this way, which would you rather live in, Iraq under Saddam Hussein or Iraq after Saddam Hussein, when there wasn't much government going on? 
I think you'd probably say, I'd rather neither, wouldn't you? They're both pretty horrible prospects. Yes? In other words, bad leadership and lack of leadership are both a problem. So I'm not preaching Judges 17 and 18 thinking, this is a good one for me, because it says, right, you do what I say. It's not a nice, easy passage for ministers, because it also says leaders can go very wrong. So please do pray for your leaders in nation, church, and in your family. One last thing this evening, one more thing. What has been missing so far? What what has been missing? What haven't I done that all Scripture does? Point to Christ. I haven't done that, have I? And so we mustn't finish without that. That would be a total failure. How does Judges 17 to 18 point to Christ? The answer is easy. Chapter 18, verse 1, for example. 18, verse 1. In those days, Israel had no king. The whole problem was they didn't have a king. How does it point to Christ? Because they need a king and now we have one. They didn't have a king in Judges. They got kings later, didn't they? What were their kings like? 80% bad, weren't they? Vast majority bad. They failed to restrain sin. But our king does not fail to restrain sin. Jesus is the shepherd king who came to deal with sin. Now, I think we sometimes sound like this. We can sometimes be in danger of sounding like this. We warn against sin and it sounds really serious. Then we say, but Jesus came, and then it sounds like, so that means the warnings didn't matter too much because Jesus has just sort of made it all all right. But we mustn't sound like that because Jesus has come as king to stop chapter 17, verse 6 happening. He came as king to stop chapter 17, verse 6 happening Jesus came so we don't do what is right in our eyes. He came so we do what is right in the Lord's eyes. And part of the way this shepherd king does that is by giving under-shepherds. Under-shepherds who are to feed, teach, guard, lead, and even when necessary, discipline the flock. But Jesus also does it by opening our eyes so that we see God's ways. And above all, opening our eyes so we see him. So that we see that he is love and he is full of grace and truth. And he's the one with all authority in heaven and on earth. And seeing him, we throw away our idols because what are they compared with him? No, we want to worship him and to do it his way.